Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of Always So Ecological. My name is Ty, and I'm your host. And being that this is the first episode, it would be appropriate, I would think, to give a brief introduction of myself. Um, I'm an IT professional. I'm also a photographer. Um, but in a past life, I was a uh, member of a worship team, a worship leader. I also did um, Bible study, bio Christian counseling, um, counseling in general. I've also participated and led various volunteer organizations uh, from a Christian perspective. So um, I would like to think that I have had an uh, interesting life when it comes to just life in general um, as someone who is a believer in Christ. Um, I try to have kind of gotten to the point where I, I've I, I kind of try to avoid saying that I'm a Christian. Um, and I don't want you to, it doesn't mean that I've just renounced my belief in Christ or anything like that. Um, no, it's it's just that I feel as though that the word or the term Christian um, has carried or has, has started to carry uh, a very different connotation than what it should. And so... Um, I kind of try to avoid using that term, but since this is the first episode and I want people to kind of get an understanding of where I'm coming from, uh, I am a believer in Christ, but I'm also a human being. And I think it's important for people to understand that you can be a believer and still be human. I think a lot of times believers tend to come from this perspective that we have to look, talk, walk a certain way in order to be considered a believer. Now, don't I understand that you know Scripture? Jesus said that you know there is a narrow path and there's a wide path, and we're supposed to walk the narrow path, right? And I get that, um, but I don't believe that that means that I have to look and sound and speak like perfect Christian guy. I don't have to walk around so holy that it's almost as if I am so above everyone else or I'm so different from everyone else. But it also doesn't mean that I have to be so much like everyone in the world that there's no distinction. And so for me to live and and be a believer is to reflect Christ through the personality that he created in me. So I hope that gives you a little bit better understanding of who's talking to you. Now, let me take a moment to to try to explain the term ecological. Um, I'm pretty sure if you read the title, that might have caught your eye a little bit. Uh, At least I hope so, um, that you saw ecological. Um, and so ecological is a term that a friend of mine used when it related to me. Um, she would say that I'm always ecological. I'm so ecological. And she would say that because sometimes she would be joking or she would jokingly say something or ask me something in a certain way that is just, I mean, it's just illogical. It doesn't make sense, but it's just for fun. Um, and for some reason, most of the time I miss that kind of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm always, my natural 
disposition is to kind of be logical. Um, now, logical doesn't mean, you know, like Spock logical or, or whatever, where I'm always thinking of, you know, the log- rules of logic and I'm always, no, that's not what I'm talking about. It's just, I'm, my logic is, is mostly just practical, right? And and when things are, just don't make sense, I like to make sense out of them. And I will explain things um, about things to make them make sense. And so that would kind of get frustrating to her because she's just joking and I'm, I just go straight logical on her. So she just described me as logical. I guess you could say it's constantly or consistently logical. Um, but my logic is, is also one that is always, you know, truthful. Um, you know, I, truth is a very important thing to me. Um, and I think that that's just because I am so rooted in, in Christ. And so, my logic is something that's rooted in Christ. If it's if you know if something is is not biblical, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And sometimes I I kind of lose the humor in things because I, I'm my mind is always framed in those ways. And so you know, when I talk about being rooted in Christ, I'm, I'm not talking about perfection. Okay, I'm I'm not perfect. That earlier I mentioned you know being able to walk in Christ and be human at the same time. Again, I'm not I'm not perfect. Um, I'm also not a tribal person. And when I say tribal, I'm using that because that seems to be a word that a lot of people are using today. And I think it's it's probably more apropos. Um, people would tend to say denominational. Um, but really, it, it is. It's just tribal. Right. It's it's, you know, this group's way of thinking or doing things versus that group versus that group. And that's not who I am. I, I, I avoid tribalism. I avoid denom- denominationalism as much as I can, because I, I don't believe that Christ segments himself. And I have no reason, I have no idea why the body, why we believers do do that, right? And so um, so it's not that. And then, you know, I want to talk about Christ. It's, it's just talking really about being open to the spirit and, and being open to the word, whatever it the spirit wants to show me through the word, while taking out my own personal agendas or personal thoughts or the way I think of things or I want to see things so that I can just receive and re- return um, what's truly given to me. And so that's where I'm coming from. And that's where I want to come from with this podcast. Um, this podcast is is really going to be used to talk about current events, to talk about um, important things in life and, and talk, even talk about things that I may have heard from other people or whatever, but from a ecological perspective. And so I hope you understand uh, or have an idea when I say ecological, what that means. It's, it's about logic. It's about truth. It's about practicality. It's about Christ um, and how those situations or that current event, um, it can be viewed or, or related to ecologicalism. And so uh, I, again, I thank you for tuning in to the first episode. I uh, hope you will choose or decide to subscribe and go on this journey with me at some point. My plan is to um, have an email address um, to get feedback and maybe even get some ideas of some topics that we, you know, that we can talk about um, from a ecological perspective. Um, of course, that means I may open myself up to difficult topics or topics that. Um, you know, maybe hard uh, for some people to to really listen to. I'm really just hoping um, that you keep an open mind. Uh, the big thing about ecologicalism is that it's always open-minded, right? It's always willing 
to receive more information and to receive um, more, uh, uh, what's the word, um, to, to get different views and opinions just so that, you know, I can be able to speak intelligently um, to someone else or, or to a subject um, that would be helpful to someone. So um, we'll see how that goes for at least um, the beginning. I probably won't just because there's a lot to talk about right now. Um, but, you know, the plan is to maybe eventually move in that direction. But again, thank you for listening. Um, and so with that said, I guess we can go ahead and roll into the to the first uh, topic that I want to talk about in today's show. And that's really about the problem of politics. Okay, so let's get into this subject about politics, and, and in particular, the problem of politics. Um, but first, in order to have that discussion, I, I think it's a, it's a good start for us to at least have a shared understanding of politics. Um, and so I'm using uh, dictionary.com's definition of politics, and it says that politics are the actions or activities concerned with achieving and using power in a country or society. And then there's a, another sub-definition that says politics can be used to talk about the ways that power is shared in an organization and the ways it is affected by personal relationships between people who work together. And I, I thought it was good to add that into the conversation because, I mean, politics as a whole, it, it is about power and relationships. So when you want to think about politics in the U.S., you're talking about a, rep a representative democracy. And what that means is that power rests in the hands of we the people. Um, you know, the, the Constitution starts, we the people. And so in our government, all power derives from us. No person that is in any political position is there without being voted in. Now, of course, there there are some positions in government that that aren't um, that aren't political. Um, that's why you hear a lot of people who work in the government. They're, they're career professionals. That's what they're called. There there are people who who were brought into government for their expertise and to do a job and and that's what they do but they're not voted in so they're not political they're they're they are professional people who work for the government but everyone else if if a person is running for political office they have to be voted in we don't live in a society where someone can jump up and say hey i want to hold x position and they just go and grab it we don't have a society where someone can challenge someone else to a duel and the winner gets the seat. All power in our government is derived from the people. And so if it derives from the people, then that is very different than the, the, the body that we, at, that believers are a part of. Because if you believe in Christ, you are a part of a theocratic body not a democratic body but a theocratic body and so what's a theocratic body well a theocracy is a form of government 
where the deity, or in our case, God, Jesus, is our king. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is the head of our government. He is the head of the kingdom. And we are subject to him. We have no power in this government. All power is in his hands. And so for us as his people, we take all of our concerns, we take all of our cares, and the scripture says we are supposed to cast them on him and depend on him and his answers um, as it relates to our prayer. So we pray to him, we, we ask him for certain things, we, we make our supplications, and then we trust him to give us the right answer because we trust that he is all good, all knowing, sovereign, and we can believe and trust that every, all of his decisions, all of his choices, all of his actions are true, right, and righteous. And so that's a big difference between uh, representative democracy and a theocracy. And I, I submit that when we as believers in Christ it's imperative for us to be mature enough or, or grow into the maturity to be able to recognize the difference and still be able to move in both realms without one taking away from the other, right? As, as members of a theocratic society, we owe our allegiance to our king first and foremost. But since we live in a representative democracy, we have we we have the ability to participate in the political process and in participating in that political process we have to be willing and able to recognize when that political process is pulling us away from the theocratic mindset that we're supposed to have now i know that there are people who are going to say well how i interact with um the democratic process is I, I, I allow the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide my choices when it comes to who I vote for and the things I believe. And that's fine. That's not, that's, I mean, that's how it should be. The problem, though, comes in when we allow the democratic process to pull us into a mindset and a behavior that is completely anathema to our theocratic mindset, to our theocratic responsibilities. And I say that because you have to understand politics, democracy, any kind of politics that that is here on earth, they are all human inventions. They are all worldly inventions. They are not of Christ. So if you were to go into scripture, you won't find a place where God talks about democracy in his kingdom. So knowing that, we have to understand that it can be very easy for the world to drag us into its mindset and pull us away from God's mindset that we're supposed to maintain. Because understand this, 
politics tends to depend on worldly tools, tools of the enemy to succeed, especially nowadays. There used to be a, a time, I guess, and uh, and I'm just speculating because, you know, you always I'll, you always talk to older folks and they, they talk about how politics was then. And, and I remember um, some of the things from when I was younger, but there used to be a time where where politicians actually agreed and respected each other. I mean, yes, they 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 would say things that were, were very sharp and were very pointed. They strongly disagreed on their policy positions and they made that known. But at the end of the day, they still respected each other. And I would like to say that, what, probably about 10, 12 years ago, that's when it all changed. And it's been getting worse ever since. But to get back to my point, politics tends to use worldly things that seek to do one of two things. It's either to uh, inflame your passion or to stoke your fear. And and that's been happening since before 10 or 12 years ago. Okay, that, that's pretty much been always. But there was a, a level that it seemed like most politicians just wouldn't go. But now it seems like the brakes are off the car now. And politicians have no problem and really trying to do one of those two things to, to, to inflame your passion or to stoke your fear. And what do I mean by that? Okay. So now in, in politics, when you, when you look at, um, political advertisements or when you, you listen to, to political speech, you, you often hear a lot about a a particular policy position and what that policy policy position means to our country. And, and, and it could be something innocuous, really. But for those people who, who hold that particular position as a strong concern for them, if they're trying to inflame your passion, they'll, they'll really beat the drum on that thing. They'll really try to, 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 to get you, get your emotions riled up about that thing. And typically now that emotion that they try to, um, point to is anger. They, they, they try to get you angry about this policy position. They try to get you angry on what this policy position means to our country or to our society or to family. And once they get you angry, they know that anger will drive you to the polls. Anger will drive you to vote. Anger will drive you to go out and, and you know, fight for that policy position. But if they can't get to you through your anger, they'll get to you through your fear. Again, they'll take a certain policy position that they've, I mean, politicians are smart. They have companies that they use that track or, or get a sense of where we are. That's why that that's why Facebook has become so important to politics, because in, on Facebook, people tend to just communicate their fears and, and their passions. And once you have that data, then you know how you can affect this certain group of people. And so when it comes to fear, they'll, they'll take that thing that you're most afraid of. And then they'll say, if you don't vote for me, if you don't if you don't vote for people like me, then this fear will be realized because the other party, 
they don't care. The other party, they want that thing to happen that you're afraid of. And so right there, politics has gone from something that's supposed to benefit us as the people with the power, and now it's been turned on its head to become something that, that is used to control us. And that's why I said earlier that power t- politics is about power and control. If you can control someone's emotions, you can control them. And that control, they have several ways that they, that, that, that politicians will, they have several things that they'll use in order to, to, to help establish their control. One of those things is, is what's called the soundbite. And I'm pretty sure if you've watched any type of political TV, political news or the news in general or read the papers or whatever, you'll see how politicians will take a certain portion of someone's speech or a certain portion of a video or an interview or something like that. And then they'll just take that small piece and they'll use that to paint a narrative of that person or that policy position. And the problem with that is, is if you go back and you actually look at the entire interview or read the entire interview or whatever the case may be, nine times out of 10, you'll find that that small little piece was really taken out of context and used to create a narrative that isn't true or that eh, is misleading. And that's where the, another tool that most politicians and political folks will use, that's called spin. That, to me, spin is a, is a softer way of saying lying. But it's really just, you know, being misleading. And so when you take anything out of its context and then you, you, you let it sit on its own, without the context that should define what that little part is, then you can take make that little part sound way worse or way better than it really was. And so that's, that's, that's the kind of thing that politics, politicians use in order to inflame your passions or to stoke your fears. And then another nefarious thing that they will use is just the art of hypocrisy. I'm pretty sure if if you've paid attention to politics at all, you've seen that one political party decries an action of another political party and then turns around and does the very same thing. And it just goes back and forth. It's almost like tennis, that they hit the ball back and forth. They do the same thing, but they point at the other and say, oh, look how wrong they were. So if you think about these things, if you recognize these things, you have to recognize that what we do with politics is completely opposite of the will of God. Scripture says that God hates lying. Let's look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. In these verses, it says that there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. So if we were to take an honest look at politics, I'm pretty sure that we can find all of those things in it. 
And I'm sure that someone is probably thinking to themselves, well, do we really see hands that kill the innocent? There are some who are going to, to see that or hear that and automatically think of abortion. But this scripture, when it talks about killing the innocent, it's more than about killing someone who has not been born yet. It's killing any innocent person. So if you think about it, you think about the unjust wars that politics can can spur. I mean, we can go back to the Iraq war to 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 use that as an example. But there are two things in this verse. Um, there are two times in this verse where it talks about lying. First time it says a lying tongue that God detests. And then it says he detests a false witness who pours out lies. So again, politics, it likes to use lies in order to inflame your passion or to stoke your fears. And it's not just one party that does it. They both do. And just you know, some people want to say, well, one party does it more than the other. It, it doesn't matter. If you use the tools of the enemy, you're still using the tools of the enemy. But at this point, I, I really want to start focusing our attention on the last part of the scripture, verse 19, where it says, God detests a person who sows discord in a family. I think it's important for us to, to really understand that and start to talk about the division that politics tends to bring out amongst the people. All right, so let's get into the subject of the problem of politics as it relates to division. Um, in the last segment, I ended reading Proverbs 16 and 19, which says a you know, that God hates. No, he really detests a person who sows discord in a family. And the problem that believers face when it comes to them participating in politics is the fact that not only are we participating in the very politics of division, but we're actually accelerating it. You're starting to see more and more believers, people who claim Christ, go out and actively say, unless you believe in these policy positions, unless you believe in these uh, priorities, you're not Christian. You're not even a believer. And so when you start going down that path, you're actually, as believers, rejecting the very word of God you're trying to defend. Because understand this, when it comes to God, there's there's not supposed to be a division. I talked about it earlier. We as believers are supposed to be members of a theocratic body. We are, we are a part of a theocracy. That means we all have one king. And under that one king, we all are equal under him. But in a democratic society, that pushes people to partisan positions, we have to be careful that we don't get dragged into that. Because as scripture says, and, and you know, Jesus has been very clear in scripture, right? In, in three of the four gospels, it's recorded that Jesus confirms or specifically states 
that you can boil all of the Old Testament and everything that's going to be in the New Testament down into two commandments, two commandments that are basically equal. And so I'm going to read from Luke 10, verse 27. And, and this is where, you know, Jesus asked the man, what does the what do the scriptures, what do the writings mean? And the man answered and said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus heard him said that, he, he, he basically said, you spoke well. And what that means is that, yeah, you're right. That's what the Old Testament, all of the scriptures, all the prophets, that's what that everything in there. That's what that what God was trying to get across to us is that we have to love God with everything, with our entire being. And then just after that, love our neighbor as ourselves. So if we as believers are participating in the political process, but yet we are hating someone else because they don't hold the same positions or they don't hold the same policy platforms as we do, we are now in a front to the, to the commandments of Christ. You can't say that you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and then at the same time say that you hate your neighbor. Indeed, when you read 1 John uh, chapter 2, you'll find that the scripture says something very specific to people who try to walk that line where you say you love God, but you hate your neighbor. Um, so let's let's start at verse seven, right? So first John chapter two, verse seven. It says, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So that's setting up the next part that I'm about to read and starting verse nine. It says the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So right there, I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward, right? If you say that you're in the light, meaning that you're you're of the kingdom, you love the Lord, you know, God is God is your God. And yet you hate your brother. You're actually walking in darkness. You're not living in accordance with scripture. Some may say, okay, I, I don't know if this person is a Christian or not. So because I don't know if I don't like them or if I hate them, I'm still good. But scripture even has an answer for that. So, and this is straight from Jesus's words. So if you go into Matthew five, starting at verse three, he says that you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, and I being Jesus, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, 
What reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So right there, again, Jesus takes away that excuse. You have no one that you can hate. You can't hate your brother, nor can you hate your enemy. So if that be the case, as believers who participate in the political process, we have to be especially careful in not allowing ourselves to be dragged down the path of hatred and division that politics tends to uh, inspire in people. Because it's important. We are members of a theocratic body. We are members of a theocracy. And because we are members of that body, everything we do does not just reflect on us. Everything we say does not just reflect on us. We are a reflection of the God that we serve. And so if we are saying that we, if we claim Christ and yet we hate anyone else, we are denying the very claim that we make. We are not walking in truth. And that's the danger of division in politics. And it's easy to fall into. I'll admit, you know, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. Again, I'm, I'm not liberal. I'm not conservative. I have certain beliefs. So I lean liberal in certain ways. I lean conservative in other ways. But I, I, I'm just not, I just don't affiliate with either or. I'm not a tribal person. I do not uh, allow myself to be defined by those partisan, by, by those partisan definitions. But even I find myself looking at some of the things that people do on either political side of the aisle and I'll start getting frustrated. I'll start getting angry and I'll start feeling like you're an awful person. You don't deserve and blah, 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 blah. And then I have to catch myself and, and remind myself that, you know what? Jesus did say that whatever, again, whatever I use to judge someone else, he's going to use to judge me. And so if I want his forgiveness, if I want his grace, I need to be able to show that to people I disagree with. I need to be able to disagree with someone without looking at them as my enemy. But that's not what politics allows us to do, especially now. And so as, as believers in Christ, it's imperative that we recognize the things that are dragging us away from what Christ wants us to be so that we can participate in the political process without becoming political. Because again, Politics is not of Christ. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is not going to assign himself to our politics. He is not going to associate himself with the left or the right. He demands that we associate ourselves with him. Because again, we are a part of a theocratic body. He is king. A king does not subject himself to his subjects. We are to be subject to him. So if Jesus is our king, that means that we are to follow him in every way. 
All you have to do is look at his words when he describes us as he's praying to the Father. If you go to John 17, starting at verse 15, you'll see him say in his prayer to to the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They, meaning us, believers, do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So if you take that for what Jesus is saying, we are not supposed to be of this world. There's a a saying in Christianity um, that a lot of people say, but it's not actually in Scripture. But the saying is, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. That actually is based from this scripture. And so if we are part of the heavenly kingdom, we're not supposed to allow ourselves to return back to the death that we came from. And how do we return back to that death? Well, in politics, we do it by becoming divisive, becoming hateful to those that believe in Christ and those that don't, to those that believe in Christ that we don't agree with. So we have to be mindful that we represent our God, who we are a part of his theocratic body. And as we represent him, we have to reflect his will and not our own. So what do we do? Well, Peter had a pretty good answer. In 1 Peter 2.11, he says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, again, does that say to stay away from politics? No. It says stay away from worldly desires. Stay away from the way that politics seeks to inflame your passion and inflame or to stoke your fear and cause you to become hateful and divisive. We have to be the ones that stay away from that. Why? Because let, let's go back to, to what we talked about before, about the difference between a theocracy and a democracy. And let's just, let's just keep it in, in, in terms of, of, of a democracy, a humanistic term, right? In a democracy, the people have the power. And so if the people have the power and the people decide that, you know what, we don't want to have a political system that is based on fear, that is based on anger. We want a political system that's based on honor or based on truth, based on respect. We are going to vote people in who believe in those things, even if we don't necessarily agree with the other party's platform positions or policies. We still demand that the people that represent us represent our values represent our morals. And if you don't, we'll vote you out. In closing, I'm going to read James 3, 13 and 18. And I think this will, if we really allow this to soak into our hearts, soak into our soul, if, if you're a believer, or even if you're not a believer and you just listen to this, if we allow ourselves to be to be enveloped by the thought and the heart behind this, this scripture. We could make things so much better and we could return ourselves to where we need to be. We can return our politics to where it needs to be 
so that people are actually being helped and we are creating more unity as opposed to disunity. James 3, 13 starts, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It, also, it is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Go back and read that when you have an opportunity. James 3, 13 through 18. If those of us who are believers, those of us who claim Christ, if we are to walk as he wants us to walk, these are the kind of things that we need to follow. This is the kind of scripture that should guide our lives. Now, I know that there are going to be some who are going to have a little gripe with some of the wording. They're not going to like the, the part where it says wisdom is also peace loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. But I challenge you, study the scripture. Study the words behind uh, it, the, the Greek wording in that verse, and, and you'll be surprised what those words mean, gentle, willing to yield. You'll, you'll be surprised what that means, and it doesn't mean being willing to be walked over or taken advantage of. Jesus was described both as a lamb and a lion. So that should tell you there, you can be gentle, you can be yielding without being taken advantage of. So I challenge you, go back and read that scripture. Take it in and apply it to your life. We of all people, the ones who are part of this theocratic body of Christ, of all people, we should be the ones fighting division. We should be the ones demonstrating that you can disagree with someone, even someone that that you consider a brother and you can disagree sharply with them, but you can still love them. You can still honor them. You can still respect them, though you disagree with their opinion. If we do that, I firmly believe that we can have an impact on our political mess that we're in right now. We can be the ones that would help people to turn down the heat of their rhetoric we could be the ones that help politicians to walk rightly before our Lord, even if they don't believe in God. We can still demand from them that they walk in such a way that they walk with honor. They walk in truth and they do, that they, they create an environment of peace in our society. We can disagree all day. We can argue and yell. I mean, that's what family does. But at the end of the day, 
we have to recognize we're family. We are one American society. And whether someone believes in, in the same God or not, we are still one people. And if, especially if we are believers in Christ, if we claim Christ is our savior, there's no other group that should never do that more than us. But that's coming from the opinion of a believer. So in closing, I just want to remind you guys, listen, politics is hard. Politics is meant to be adversarial because we're trying to, we're striving for that more perfect union. And sometimes in striving for perfection, you're going to hit bumps in the road. You're going to hit differences of opinion, but those differences of opinion should challenge us to come up with new ways, new ideas of being able to achieve the American dream for all Americans, not just for some. We should be able to be the ones to demonstrate as believers that unity that comes from one heart, one mind. Of all things, I encourage you, follow the will of God. Don't allow yourself to be pulled apart by partisanship, by politics, by fear, by anger. Trust the Lord. Know that he is with us. And we can accomplish great things together. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm hoping that as I go, my podcast won't be so long. But this was something that it was just burning in my heart. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've gotten something from it. And I hope you'll tune in once again. Until the next time, I'm Ty. Always so ecological.